Today on CityCast Pittsburgh, it's the Friday News Roundup. I'm with CityCast Elizabeth Kama and Brian Conway from the Pittsburgh Independent talking about lemon blend, the county jail, and affordable housing. It's Friday, January 13th. I'm Morgan Moody, and this is CityCast Pittsburgh. Okay, I'm here with CityCast producer Elizabeth Kama. Hello. Hello. And our special guest, Brian Conway from the Pittsburgh Independent. Hi, Brian. Hey, Morgan. Thanks for having me. Yeah, very excited. So, okay, you, you've you become the city's official lemon blend correspondent. Um, I hope you're okay taking on that that, that role. <laughs> it's the role I've always wanted. Okay, great. Uh, what For people that don't know, I feel like it's one of those things that um, you know it when you see it, but like— Maybe the the name brand you might you might miss, but what is lemon blend, and uh, when's the first time that you tried it? So lemon blend is sort of this original Pittsburgh beverage. It's been around since 1914. I think the best way to describe it would be like a juice drink or a mm. juice beverage. Like I don't know, uh, growing up, I feel like we had these little cartons of like orange drink. It was maybe like five percent <laughs> juice, ten yes. percent juice max, and lemon blend sort of falls into that. It's like a orange lemon juice drink. Mm. Um, Maybe if you had like Mountain Dew that was uncarbonated, (laughs) something like that. But it's been this beverage. It's been around in Pittsburgh for over a century now. It was served in tea houses in the 20s. You could get the pirate games in the 50s. And it was this beverage that people drank with some nostalgia and they had some love for it um, up until recent years. Mostly, I feel like what I do remember from it, if if I don't remember ever buying it. Mm. I know it was provided for me in some, <laughs> in some school, some camp, some something. But I always remember the the font, like the letters and like the little iciness on the, I'm mm-hmm. shivering, you can't see it, but like the little iciness on the B and the L, like it's, mm-hmm. yeah, the little ice chips at the bottom. So it got its start like over a hundred years ago. Mm-hmm. What happened? Well, first of all, I'll say that the snow cap lettering on the Lemon Blend logo is the first thing that came to my mind, too, when it was first reacquainted yeah. to me a couple months ago. I mm-hmm. could close my eyes and picture that snow cap double end blend on the label. <laughs> so, yeah. That's how you knew your your thirst was about to be quenched, just from, like, the <laughs> font. Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah, Lemon Blend, how did I get on this uh, whole topic? And I talk about it in the story that ran in the Pittsburgh Independent in early December. It all started in the group chat. Um, I had a friend who had sent a message out. I guess he had been looking to buy some Lemon Blend concentrate. You know, um, I grew up in the Mon Valley. Uh, Lemon Blend was especially popular Mm -hmm. in the Mon Valley. There were some Post-Gazette news articles that said, like, former mill towns like Homestead, maybe McKeesport, they were sort of the last bastion of Lemon Blend. And so those of us who grew up in that area still had a special fondness and nostalgia for it. And my friend had reached out to me and, and through the group chat and said, hey, you know, I tried to get some at uh, Duffy's and I couldn't <laughs> get it anymore. What's going on? And that's what sort of uh, took me down this rabbit hole of what happened to Lemon Blend. Wow. Yeah. And and for those of our listeners who may not actually know the tragic fate of Lemon Blend, what happened? So long story short, the owners of Lemon Blend, Burns and Kiefer, decided that the juice wasn't worth the squeeze. Oh. <laughs> And I'm so mad at myself because I came up with that line like two hours after my story published. That's and okay. I was like, that would have been perfect for it's, the article. But you know but, what, though? It's better. It's better here because you voiced it. Mm-hmm. It's trademarked. <laughs> People know now. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. I get royalties now whenever anyone says that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
But essentially, um, this is a commercial bakery that owned the recipe. They acquired it, I believe, from Heinz back in the 70s. Mm. And, you know, they primarily made baked goods. And they decided that the effort to go into making this product that wasn't such a hit with younger generations uh, just wasn't worth the cost anymore. And so they stopped producing it. But through what the bakery is that? Burns and Kiefer, they're a commercial bakery based outside of Evans City mm. um, in Butler County. They provide um, baked goods for Giant Eagle, Eaton Park, uh, other companies like that. Yeah. And then through my reporting, I sort of tracked down what had happened. I started, I talked to this man, Tom Griffith, who mm -hmm. runs LemonBlend.com. <laughs> He's the great grandfather of the founder, uh, Edwin Kigi, who had invented it. And I reached out to him. He had heard from fans of Lemon mm -hmm. Blend. He said he was getting like between a half dozen and a dozen emails Every week last year from Lemon Blend fans, people who had maybe like a mother who lived in Florida now, who yeah. grew up in Pittsburgh, who wanted it, wow. trying to figure out where to get it. From there, I talked to Penn Mac, who were one of the last distributors, yeah. um, trying to get the word from them what was happening. They were trying to ask me the same thing. <laughs> Nobody really knew. And in the end, I ended up just driving out to uh, Burns and Kiefer outside of Evan yeah. City because they weren't responding to my phone calls. They weren't responding to my emails. And eventually uh, they just hit me with a no comment. And that was that. And I thought that was the end of the story that um, in my mind, I thought that there was maybe a sale that was in the works. Mm -hmm. um, they were trying to sell this uh, nostalgic recipe. There are, I think, a couple brands in Pittsburgh that sort of uh, specialize in uh, nostalgic Yinzer Pittsburgh <laughs> drinks. And as far as I could tell, that was where um, everything had left off, is that there was maybe a sale in the work, and that's why they wouldn't get back to me. Yeah. Nostalgia in Pittsburgh, it's like, that's... Sells. So that's not the end of the story. What happened? What, what, what goes further beyond no reply? So actually what had happened was between Christmas and New Year's, I got contacted by some former employees of Burns and Kiefer, mm -hmm. I guess, uh, you know, Pittsburgh Independent were out there. People are reading us, you know, yeah. well beyond Allegheny County, right? And so some uh, readers had read it up in Butler County mm -hmm. and they had worked at Burns and Kiefer and they contacted me and said, hey, stuff going on here. And I ended up talking to about like 10 former employees of Burns and Kiefer over the holiday break. Yeah. And what had happened was on December 29th, they had workers come in, they had them clean for an inspection that day. Mm -hmm. They bought everybody pizza and then they let everybody go. Oh. <gasps> And so it's a very sad ending to the story because there's about two dozen workers who were let go in Calorie, right side of Evans City. Mm -hmm. That was the Birds and Kiefer headquarter. And there were roughly twice that many in Hermitage in Mercer County mm -hmm. who were also fired, uh, as far as I know, without warning as well. So you're looking at about roughly 75 employees employed by this commercial bakery who were mm -hmm. all let go very suddenly without warning over holiday breaks. And it also ends that... Um, over a hundred year presence that Burns and Kiefer had yeah. in Western Pennsylvania. So, what, couldn't they have just like sold the recipe to like keep it going, even if you couldn't continue the operations? Like what? I had the same question. You would think that if maybe they were tied up for money, that they yeah. could sell this recipe and cash in on that Yinzer mm -hmm. nostalgia market yeah. that we all know exists. And again, uh, originally that is what I thought was that there was maybe yeah. some sale in the works and that's why they weren't getting back to me but it turns out the full story is that for a variety of reasons again they won't talk to me for this but mm -hmm. apparently there had been some uh difficulties in recent months and the whole operation at least in Munster, pennsylvania is over now and so that's the very sad ending um at least for now with what happened to lemon blend though presumably they still have the recipe and they can uh sell it at some point 
but um, maybe if they sell it, they can give some of that money to those uh, dozens and dozens of employees that they, they laid off without warning. Yeah, that sucks. Did you call them in to clean and then and then lay them off right after that? Did they did they say that they were getting any sort of um, severance? How long have some of these people been working at that that bakery? That's a lot of questions. There was just... <laughs> <laughs> that's fine, and there are a lot of unanswered questions yeah. still, just because Burns and Kiefer won't. Um, they put out a statement thanking employees for their efforts, which we'll just let that sit there. Right. <laughs> but you know, like I said, there are a lot of unknowns. We don't know what's going to happen next. Mm. Um, the employees that I spoke with, they were concerned about um, some paid time off from years prior that they yeah. had accrued. Um, uh, someone had showed me a picture of the Burns and Kiefer like employee manual, and it said that if you're let go for any reason or if you stop working there for any reason, you lose your paid time off from years past. Mm. So there were employees that were worried about that. Mm. Um, and a lot of the employees were fired second or even third hand. Like if you weren't there um, on that December 29th when they let people go, you would like tell your friend and then they would tell their friend that they were actually let go. And so there were some delays maybe in getting the unemployment processed as well. And then as far as I know, uh, none of the workers that were let go actually got any severance or anything. Ugh. That's terrible. Wow. And especially when you think it's like in the middle of the holiday season, employees probably just spent a bunch of money on, on gifts. Right. Yeah, like that money was something that they depended on. So it's just really terrible. The show today is brought to you by an incredible local resource, AIDS Free Pittsburgh, and their pledge to end the HIV AIDS epidemic in Allegheny County by 2030. If that is a cause that is close to your heart, make sure you're around for their biggest event of the summer, the sixth annual Too Hot for July. It is a party, but it is also a chance to get confidential HIV and STI testing for free, plus info on the incredible preventative medicines we have now to keep yins happy, healthy, and feeling your most confident out on the town. So come on out to Allegheny Commons East Park on Thursday, May 30th. Yes, July is in the name, but the event is in May. Don't get confused. May 30th from 4 to 10 p.m. There will be DJ sets, a health fair and marketplace, a ballroom-inspired dance battle, cash bar, food trucks, and more. Plus, a performance by Tony Award winner Alex Newell, a.k.a. Unique, from Glee. This is all thanks to True Tea Pittsburgh and so many folks doing the good work out here in the community. So do not miss out. Learn more at TooHotForJuly.com. From another place with uh, poor work conditions mm. and just poor conditions in general, the Allegheny County Jail, um, the accommodations there, you know, have never been comfortable. I don't think they're meant to be, but they're not even up to humane conditions. The people incarcerated there have spoken out about the conditions in the jail, you know, the food not being edible, uh, it, food being cold by the time it got to them. Um, they talked about also like mouse droppings and, and yeah, just terrible things being found in their food. The temperature inside the jail, some of them said they could see their breath. Um, and then it, obviously issues with like, you know, intake and, um, and getting medical assistance inside the jail. Some members from the county jail oversight board visited the jail back in October and November. It was like a pop-up, um, unexpected visit. The board is there to make sure that the conditions in the jail are humane and the people being housed there are being treated the same way. 
that's it's not happening. (laughs) Yeah. What they found, like when they went to the county jail, uh, was, you know, what incarcerated people have been saying. Um, Terry Klein, who's on the oversight board, and county controller Corey O'Connor toured the kitchen, medical and mental areas, and intake and booking. The big issue that they found in their report was wait times for intake were so long. It could be up to five days. And the lack of mental and medical health staff was just also a big concern that they yeah. found in this report. Yeah. O'Connor and Klein, uh, they also they spoke with incarcerated people. They spoke with juveniles who were there um, and staff at the county jail. They were told that there's 149 people waiting to see a psychiatrist and that the wait time could be up to 71 days. Staff said, you know, right, with aligning with the, you know, there not being enough staff, they said there's a high turnover rate and, you know, there's management issues. And naturally, when there's a high high turnover rate and management issues, it's poor working conditions. Um, This is a very interesting story, the way all of this is coming together. And I do want to thank WSA for their reporting on this. Mm. They have been fueling um, (laughs) me (laughs) continuing to follow this story. I've been following this, you know, along the way for a while. Um, County Councilwoman Bethany Hallam is on the board as well. She's been very outspoken about mental health care inside the jail, saying saying that the conditions could be a violation of the Americans with Disabilities Act. At the jail oversight board meeting earlier this month, Hallam asked uh, about the correctional officer, which if you're not familiar with this, there's a correctional officer, uh, former correctional officer from the Allegheny County Jail who's facing charges. He's accused of bringing in and selling drugs at the jail. At the meeting, Hallam kept asking uh, the county jail warden, Orlando Harper, about those charges, mm. about the investigation into the officer. Hallam kept pressing for, for more answers. And then common pleas judge Elliot Housie, who also chairs the oversight board, stepped in. And that's that's uh, when things got a little hairy. <laughs> um, I haven't been able to, to find the exact word, but allegedly Hallam called him something under his breath. Do you know what is it? Am I allowed to say prick on CityCast? <laughs> Damn right. All right. I heard that the word that she had used was prick. Mm. And I have to be critical of Councilwoman Hallam here. I think she missed a great opportunity to call this judge a jag off instead of the word that she used. I think that if she would have called him a jag off, they may have been uh, commending her at this next county council meeting instead of censuring her. Yeah. Yes. Yes. You got to use the Pittsburgh language um, and then you don't get the censured. Everyone, everyone approves. Yeah, Hallam's Republican counterpart, Sam DeMarco, actually brought that motion mm. to counsel to, to censure her. Um, I should mention that the people that were in favor of it, Hallam's also had like some beef with like <laughs> in the past. So uh, it's not very surprising. The rest of counsel did oppose the effort. Uh, they voted it down nine votes to six. Mm. Also, mostly because it came uh, very last minute. And I think the problem with this is that this one particular incident, this one crude word that she used, is taking away from all the issues that Mm, came out at this jail oversight board meeting. There was uh, questions about strip searches and how they strip search uh, juvenile Mm. inmates. Apparently, strip search juvenile inmates the same as they do adult inmates. And so all these like very concerning questions continue to come out at these regular jail oversight board meetings. And unfortunately, it's been overshadowed. I will use this opportunity to plug uh, some reporting that's coming up in the Pittsburgh Independent. Um, Myself and then uh, Brittany Haler from the Pittsburgh Institute of Nonprofit Journalism. Uh, Morgan, I know you said you had been following WESA. They've been doing great coverage as well. I would also encourage you to follow PINGE. Uh, Brittany's really been... uh, 
on the lead of a lot of this reporting. And so we actually just got some funding through the Pittsburgh Media Partnership to do some more uh, reporting around the county jail. So definitely yeah. stay posted the Pittsburgh Independent and the Pittsburgh Institute for Nonprofit Journalism for more coverage on the county jail in the months to come. Absolutely. And we've had Brittany on the show before talking about issues with the jail and still seems to be the same issues a year later. But another person, another official who has been deflecting questions about the jail, Allegheny County Executive Rich Fitzgerald. And um, again, WESA, thank you for your reporting on this. Brian, have you have you been following um, th- this part as well? Yeah, Morgan, I got to say, this wasn't on the list of questions that you had sent uh, prior <laughs> to us talking about this, about the county jail. Um, no, you talk about personnel issues, and there's one um, extremely conspicuous absence at these jail oversight board meetings, mm. and that is the mm. county executive, Ritz Fitzgerald, who, as I understand it, is statutorily mandated <laughs> to be at these meetings. And as far as I know, he hasn't been to any in his uh, 11, 12 years in office so far. And so to your point earlier, he was on an interview with WESA and he was asked about the county jail and he pushed back and basically said, uh, you know, this wasn't on the list of questions. This wasn't the stuff that we were going to talk about. And it's kind of an audacious thing for him to say um, in his purview as county executive, as the individual who has ultimate oversight of the county jail. I mean, I believe there have been uh, 17 deaths at the county jail since uh, COVID started. I Mm -hmm. think there was like five or six uh, individuals who had died last year. And so all these different points that you had raised about the food, about the clothing, all the mental health treatment, Mm -hmm. all these different things with the juveniles. um, It's been a terrible situation. And he, I don't know if he's trying to run out the clock on this or or deflect it to other individuals or what it is, but... um, there seems to be an absence of leadership in that regard um, when it comes to the county executive. Speaking of public officials, um, did you see that Mayor Ed Ganey has uh, kept with his campaign promise of investing in affordable housing? Yeah, I saw that there was um, uh, there's a plan to issue a new bond yeah. to fund more affordable housing in Pittsburgh. Um, I think that a lot of the details are yet to play out. We don't exactly know um, what the spending plan is going to be, how many affordable units will be created with the spending. Yeah. But it seems like a step in the right direction. Um, I had actually reported for The Independent last summer on the city's inclusionary zoning overlay districts. Uh, this was something that started during the Peduto administration, specifically in Lawrenceville. Mm. And when Mayor Ganey got into office, he expanded it to some other rapidly gentrifying neighborhoods in town, uh, including, I believe, Polish Hill and one or two others. What happened was, I believe it's the Builders Association of Metropolitan Pittsburgh. They have sued in federal court Mm -hmm. to roll these inclusionary zoning overlays unconstitutional. Um, Essentially, their argument is that by the city creating these inclusionary zoning areas, they're forcing the mandate to create affordable housing on the builders, and they're saying that's unconstitutional. And so this is a lawsuit that people should keep an eye on if they're able to, Mm -hmm. because they've done this lawsuit in federal courts. And what they're basically trying to do is say or get a, a judge to rule that these inclusionary zoning overlays are unconstitutional. It's unconstitutional to force developers anywhere in the country to pay for uh, affordable housing. And so um, Pittsburgh in the coming months and maybe years Mm -hmm. is really sort of uh, the epicenter of a lot of this um, affordable housing um, measures that are going through. We actually did an episode uh, over the summer about inclusionary zoning in Lawrenceville with Lawrenceville United about keeping that area affordable. We'll drop a link to that episode in our show notes. But how 
how do the bonds even work? Like, I don't understand. You know, they have this money for it, but it's kind of like, are they building the house? How, how does this work? Yeah. So the $2.5 million will allow the city and the Urban Redevelopment Authority to issue bonds, which are basically these like loans that they sell um, to people with the promise of paying the money back in full later. Mm. Um, and so it's a way to raise money. So even if it's like $2.5 million, they can actually like issue these bonds and maybe have more than that come in. Um the money that they make selling these bonds will be used to make more significant investments in affordable housing. Like Brian said, that sort of like what that means is also really sticky and up in the air. Um, and we don't really know like kind of what that means for um, what that money that they do make. So the city. So the city and the URA are issuing these bonds with this annual two point five million in the budget. But when do they have to pay the bonds back? Yeah, I mean, so the plan is to pay back the bonds in 30 years, which hopefully gives them some time to pay it back and allows them to raise enough money, like in the meantime, to make more expensive contributions to fighting the housing crisis we're having in Pittsburgh, the affordable housing crisis we're having in Pittsburgh. Um, They said that, like, I mean, the deputy mayor has said uh, to WSA that they don't know exactly how much money they're going to make selling these bonds, but it's in the range of 10 of millions of dollars. So hopefully this could, you know, go to addressing some of the needs we have here around affordable housing. I mean, I keep on going back to this conversation we had with Jordana Rosenfeld, um, a Pittsburgh City paper reporter, a few Friday news roundups ago about unhoused folks and, and about the fact that we, we have shelters, but we don't have enough. And in those shelters, we don't have enough beds. And there's so many people who are just out in the cold. And yeah, I feel like that's like a part of this conversation as well that we should be having. I feel like I'm seeing, you know, affordable housing, especially downtown dwindling. If uh, things like accidents, fires, mm-hmm. floods have happened in these buildings, I've also I've seen a lot of them get replaced with Airbnbs mm-hmm. rather than bringing those people um, back into the places that they called home at one point. Yeah, I mean, I just saw in WSA Today um, that fire in the um, building, we talked about it a few. Uh, oh, the Roosevelt. Roosevelt, yeah, mm-hmm. a few um, Friday news roundups ago, that the people who are living there are fighting to, you know, go back and live in that building um, because they need the affordable housing and they, and like being in the city, it, it's a great access point for jobs. Right. Um, and they can't because, you know, there's a lot of parts of the building that are condemned. I'm interested to see what, what unfolds with this money and uh, how they're really how it's really going to go toward helping people mm-hmm. yeah and what's the, something to watch and what's the turnaround going to be when you're talking about construction we have a need for affordable housing right now right now mm-hmm. right yeah well we'll definitely watch and i'm sure brian will as well so check the pittsburgh independent and uh keep listening to us and um yeah we'll be watching this story That's all for today here on CityCast Pittsburgh. Happy Friday the 13th, if you're into that sort of spooky, unlucky day. Uh, our team this week includes Elizabeth Kama, Mallory Falk, Francesca DeBacco, and me, Morgan Moody. Music is by Benji. And we'll be back on Monday with mornings from around the city. So we'll see you then. Toilet paper and lemon blend, two essential things to any Pittsburgh house. Yeah, absolutely.